In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Anyone who has been part of the church for a period of time has certainly heard this story of Mary and Martha. And many of us have left church feeling guilty, probably because we felt more like Martha's than Mary's. A priest friend of mine, she was actually a canon at the cathedral in in South Dakota in Sioux Falls, named Martha, used to say that she really didn't like that scripture at all. She felt she was forever stigmatized by that name. I think that there is real value in us uh, understanding that part of what this text can mean for us is to reassess this balance or imbalance we might have in our lives between action and contemplation, prayer, between action and simply being in the presence of God. I heard this morning that, you know, we have two long-standing prayer groups, a men's group and a women's group, and some of them are spouses. And there's been quite a discussion, apparently, this past week about the, uh, the text and what it really means. I was reading uh, one of the blogs on the Internet about uh, in preparation for this sermon, and, and a Lutheran wrote, Martha must be a Lutheran. Lutherans believe that the only way to get to heaven is to show up with a potluck dish. Even though we are saved by grace, of course, you know, Luther would have to get that in there. Even though we are saved by grace, piety makes us feel like we have to be doing something all the time to be the church. Church must march to the time clock, activities scheduled, and calendars printed. Well, not to be outdone, uh, an Episcopalian replied, I beg to differ. Martha must have been an Episcopalian. (laughs) We can match you covered dish for covered dish, activity for activity, calendar for calendar, and I'll raise you one rummage sale. (laughs) Well, I think that uh, there is value in us thinking about this uh, balance or imbalance that we might have in our lives between action and contemplation and prayer. But I believe that that uh, somewhat misses the point, at least the point perhaps for Luke and perhaps for the early church, because we don't hear this text as they would have heard it. I think it's important for us to remember if if you recall the uh, the text from last week about the uh, the Good Samaritan. That was a a story that Jesus told in order to push the envelope to get uh, those in his culture to see that all, indeed all, were worthy of God's love and could express God's love to another needy human being. And I think in this text today, we are seeing Jesus once again push the envelope. And this time he's pushing the envelope with regard to the place of women. I think it's important for us to remember how women were viewed and understood in that culture. Uh, We could actually experience that today, I think. If we went to Saudi Arabia, we would experience life in a culture where women are, are treated and expected to do things much as they were in the first century. Their place was in the home. If they were out uh, away from the home, they should always be accompanied by a family member. If they were traveling, they would never stay with strangers. They would stay with a relative. And if they were uh, accompanied by a family member and needed to stay in other accommodations, they'd stay with family members. Women were protected and women were also understood in many ways to be another form of property. 
Women did not uh, sit at the feet of rabbis. Women were not rabbis. And women were not students of rabbis. So that, I think, is the backdrop uh, within which this uh, account that Luke puts forward is told. The Gospels give us some indication that Jesus had women disciples. And I'll give you just a couple of examples of that. In Acts, a woman by the name of Dorcas is called a disciple. In Matthew's Gospel, I'm sure you'll remember this, this story, Jesus' family comes to see him. They, ask, they come to this house and they ask him to come out to speak to them. And uh, they think he's crazy, actually, is what the problem is. And he replies, who is my mother and who is, are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Now, if the disciples had been men, he would have stretched out his hand and said, here are my father, my brother, my cousin. But he said, here is my mother and my brothers. So clearly there were women in that gathering of disciples who were with him that day. And the text is very clear that, that it was referring to disciples. And then there is this very interesting, almost amazing uh, bit from uh, Luke. He went through cities and villages preaching and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who provided for them out of their means. Now, the amazing thing about this text is that, first of all, it's a description of those people who were around Jesus, who were following him, made up of men and women going from village to village and city to city. Something completely outside of the norm for their culture. And then the other thing, of course, which is very startling and which we, I think, mostly have, have missed and certainly not talked about much in the church. And that is that this Jesus movement was funded by women. Women were underwriting this ministry, apparently with funds over which they had control. I think Luke includes this vignette, which is very short to make it clear to the people who heard this gospel read to them in their churches throughout uh, Asia Minor and in Palestine, that it was the women who were so important in the development of the early church. Well, now with these examples as a backdrop, I think we should examine this account of Jesus' visit to Martha's home with her sister Mary. Remember that hospitality is very, very important in the first century. It's not just something you do because you should do it. It's something you do because you have to do it. It was a requirement. In order to be a, a, a person of any worth in the community, you must extend hospitality. And Martha was very good at that, apparently. She was very busy going about getting ready to prepare for Jesus, to offer him a wonderful meal. Now, one can also imagine that Jesus was getting tired. He'd been on the road for a while. He had all of these crowds crushing in on him, people wanting to hear what he had to say, people seeking his touch for healing. And you can imagine, at least I, I would want to get away from that at some point, and perhaps you would too. We all need to have a place to regenerate, to get away to. And that may have been why he came to his friend Martha's house. 
So he comes into the house and Mary uh, seems to see Jesus in a different light. Somehow uh, her love of him and her appreciation of him uh, supersedes all that's going on around her. And she sits at his feet and listens to what he has to say. She hears his words. She is sitting as uh, one who is a student of a rabbi or a disciple of a rabbi. Mary is taking it all in and that there is nothing more important to her in that moment. It's very easy to imagine what was going through Martha's head. We've got a roast lamb to prepare and Mary's out there sitting at Jesus feet. And there are all these vegetables to get ready and she's doing nothing, nothing at all to help. And then finally, Martha's frustration results in an outburst. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. Martha's appealing to Jesus. Have this woman do what she's supposed to do as a woman. Anyone who would have heard this text would have thought that Martha was absolutely justified in asking Jesus to do that. Because what Martha was doing was what was expected of every woman in that culture. There was nothing wrong with what Martha was doing. But what Mary was doing was acting like a man. Mary was not fitting the demands of the culture in terms of what women should be doing. I think that this is a very important account in terms of us understanding how far Jesus would go beyond the boundaries how far he was willing to reach in order to include people. And we hear him respond to Martha, not responding to what she asked him to do, but rather going deeper into what she was really saying. Martha, Martha, he says, you are worried and distracted by so many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part and she'll have it forever. I think in essence, Jesus was saying the call of a disciple takes precedence over everything. It takes precedence even over what the culture demands of a woman. I believe that this account is a beautiful expression of how Jesus opened up the possibility of discipleship to all people, no matter who they were. But isn't it amazing? that the church is still struggling, even with this particular issue, the inclusion of women in leadership. I was uh, struck this morning as we were vesting, uh, Spencer chose uh, a stole specifically because uh, we believe it was the stole that was worn by Ivan Kaufman as he, I think he was the crucifer at the, at the uh, service where the first women were ordained. And Chuck Willie, whom many of you know, was the preacher at that event. And we, uh, as a church, really have been very much touched by that. And not only that, there are many who were a part of this congregation and who still are, who were active in making it possible for women to be ordained in our church. And now today we have two women leading our church. Catherine Jeffert Shorey, the presiding bishop, chairs the House of Bishops. And Bonnie Anderson, a laywoman, is the chair of the House of Deputies. The House of Deputies, you'll remember, is where the, the clergy, that both priests, deacons, and the laity uh, sit as a part of our general convention. Those two houses, chaired by women, 
govern our church. So we are blessed, I believe, in the Episcopal Church. But it's not over yet because there are many, many churches that yet will not call women to be rectors. There are many places where women are not accepted as leaders. And then if you look at the broader church, it's even more damning in terms of what Jesus was trying to do in opening the the discipleship, discipleship to all, including all women. I believe that we need to always examine ourselves and ask, who are we excluding and why? And even though we are very uh, pleased to know that our church has included women in leadership, there are still places where that does not happen. And perhaps even here, there are times when we are not mindful enough of the importance of that. But I give thanks today that we are part of a church that does value women, not just because they can be good cooks, but because they can be wonderful leaders. Amen. Amen.